Imagine with me, we are a group of soldiers, a tactical team, and we've been called out on a mission. You know, as we hear our commander spell out about the, the details about this mission, we realize this sounds kind of risky. We're going to be doing some pretty high-stake maneuvers. This is not for the faint of heart. Now, over time, we've come to trust our commander. He's really smart. In fact, he seems to know everything. And he's set us up for success on this mission. He's taught us how we need to be, what our character needs to look like in order for us to be successful. He's given us, prepared us for some of the situations. He's even prepared us for what will happen if we're captured, if we're threatened, if we're tortured. You know, this commander believes in us and he encourages us and he motivates us. Now, if we were this group of soldiers, we wouldn't necessarily know what we had signed up for, the kind of situations we are gonna, we're going to get into. But we have come to believe in this mission. We are ready, despite the risks, we are eager to get going. Let's do it. Well, that's the setting of our passage in Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25, that we're going to look at today. Pastor Ashwin last week walked us through Jesus' initial charge to his disciples, the call to be on mission as his followers. And each one of us have this calling upon our life to be missionaries, to bring the good news of Jesus to the people in the culture around us. And those verses ended up with um, being peep, talking about people of peace. Those are people who are receptive to the gospel, who are friendly with us. It ended up in, in a positive way. But at verse 16, where we're going to start today, there was actually a shift that starts to happen in the way Jesus talks about this mission. There's, we, let's read together actually what Jesus has to say. He's our commander about this mission that's ahead of us. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves to be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. Well, there's a lot of animals in those two sentences, aren't there? But, you know, don't get confused. This is not a story of Noah's Ark. Sheep, when left alone, are defenseless. A pack of wolves would just tear them apart. But let's remember that Jesus, the good shepherd, does not take off when the wolves arrive. Rather, he stays and he protects. And Jesus, later on in this passage, actually gives us more about what he's going to do to care for us. But for right now, at this point, he wants us to be aware of the severity of our situation. Being a disciple of Jesus, being on mission, is risky. And so because of that, we must be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, shrewd means having or showing powers of judgment, being astute, having an awareness or a perspective of your environment. Now, I don't like snakes. I actually really, really don't like snakes. But they are an amazing creature. A snake has an incredible ability to perceive particularly using their tongue. So when a snake actually sticks out its tongue, it's not, you know, sticking out its tongue at you. It's using its tongue to catch particle, chemical particles in the atmosphere, which they are then able to process to provide awareness of their environment. 
You know, the shrewdness of a snake enables it to evaluate the situation and then make a decision. Do I stand my ground? Do I attack? Or do I get out of here and find safety in the cleft of a rock? As a disciple, shrewdness reveals itself in wisdom that knows and uses the right information in the right way. It means gathering information that helps us learn about the person or the persons we're trying to influence for Christ and then approaching them in a way that they, we could then anticipate that we will gain a hearing. As disciples on mission, we need this type of wisdom or powers of judgment that come from being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we see great examples of this, the Apostle Paul being one. He is put in prison because of what he is preaching. But in that, he knew his legal rights. He used the legal system to his advantage. He was always careful when he crafted his speeches to maximize the impact on his audience. We see that in Acts 17 when he was giving a message to the people of Athens. Paul had an awareness of his surroundings, his, the culture, the people, and he knew how to use that, and he knew how to use it tactfully. You know, we might have all the right information about Jesus, but if we can't communicate that with sensitivity, with compassion, or gentleness, we're going to push people away, making it much harder for them to hear and recognize the truth. If we are going to be effective disciples within our culture, we have got to be shrewd, wise, discerning, and tactful. Now, at the same time, we're told to be innocent as doves. Doves are a universal symbol of peace. They are known to be harmless and gentle birds. Look at these verses from Philippians. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And from Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, as disciples of Christ, we need to be known as gentle peaceful people doing all that we can to have amicable, friendly relationships and within those relationships to communicate honor, respect, and godly love to everyone. You know, whether we like someone or we don't, as a disciple of Christ, we never have the right to be harsh, antagonistic, unkind, or demeaning. Rather, Jesus spells out a radical way to treat others when he says this in Luke 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, if we're going to go on this mission, we can't just fake loving people. We can't fake blessing them because being innocent as a dove requires us to be people of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In bringing the good news of Jesus, we need to do it in ways that are legal, ethical, and respectful. No one should be able to bring a charge against us in terms of doing things that are shady or underhanded. We need to be known as people who tell the truth and who live a life of purity. Interestingly, doves was only one of two species of birds that were listed in Leviticus as acceptable burnt offerings 
in the place of a lamb. Doves, they represent peacefulness, gentleness, cleanliness, purity, and integrity. Now, I've taken quite a bit of time to talk about these two descriptors because what Jesus is doing here is he's telling us about the kind of character that we need to have in order to be prepared for the mission and the scenarios of this mission. Now, nowhere in the passage that we're going to read in a minute does Jesus say, well, you know, you might come across this situation or chances are pretty low, but just in case. No, Jesus is very definitive in saying these things. He says they will happen to us. In fact, in the passage we're going to read in a minute, Jesus uses the word will, which is a declaration of something that's going to happen. He uses that word 12 times. So as we read this, these verses together, let's pay attention to the things that Jesus says will happen. Be aware for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogue. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all the nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in the town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all of the towns of Israel." Anybody else feeling maybe just a little bit of fear at this stage? I mean, I heard an interesting definition of fear. It's having faith that something bad is going to happen. What is it in Jesus' description of this mission that could cause us to feel fear? Well, he says, you're going to be arrested and handed over to the courts. You are going to be flogged. That's not just roughed up a little bit. That's actually flogged with leather strips and inserted with, with metal or bone. Sound familiar? That's what happened to Jesus just when he had been arrested and before he was crucified. Jesus says, you will stand trial and your closest members will betray you and rebel against you. All nations. That's not just one or two people. All nations are going to hate you. Now, I wonder if at this time, if the disciples were kind of thinking like, oh man, can we go back to just having some picnics, you know, really big picnics by the Sea of Galilee? Or man, there's nothing I would give for a little just controversy with the, farm, with the Pharisees in the synagogue. The mission that they were going on was dangerous. Now, you might say, oh, hold on a second. I didn't sign up for this. Like, I'm good with attending services on the weekend, especially when I get to do it from my couch or in my pajamas. Or I, I'll even host a Bible study in my home complete with fresh-baked cookies. But go on a mission like this? The cost is too high. I didn't sign up for this. Well, you know, as I thought about this, I could feel my fear rising. And I took a couple deep breaths, and I thought, okay, whew, Whew, at least I live in Canada. 
See, all around the world, there are many people on a daily basis, many Christ followers who are being arrested, who are being tortured, who are being martyred. And I thought, okay, at least I'm safe here in Canada. But the reality is, here in Canada, we may not experience that kind of persecution, but we do experience opposition to our faith and to the message of Jesus. And I've had to ask myself, am I willing to speak up for the teachings of Jesus, especially on contentious topics that may be in opposition to cultural trends? I've been convicted this week. How much am I willing to risk to be on this mission? You know, Jesus says, in this passage, that his disciples, if we carry the message of Jesus, if we live the way Jesus has called us to, we will experience opposition. And that opposition can come from many different places. It can come from in your family. You know, I have a family member that I'm estranged with. And there's many issues that have have caused the breakdown of that relationship. But one of the big ones we don't see Jesus the same way. Maybe at your work you're experiencing comments that let you know people think you're uh, just a little bit weird, off base, maybe worse, because of your faith. Maybe you're even concerned about losing your job if you don't toe the line and provide politically correct responses that might differ from your biblical Christ-like convictions. Maybe your faith is openly scoffed. I heard of a young man taking a religious studies degree here in Calgary at the university. He was hauled up in front of his class, mocked at for his Christian beliefs by his professor. You know, it's when, not if, when we encounter opposition because of our faith that we need to remember this passage and not be despised, sorry, not be surprised or disheartened and not give in to fear. Because along with these warnings of opposition and persecution comes promises of help and hope. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and the other believers about me. You see, Jesus is saying that in these tough situations, we are actually going to have new opportunities to tell people about Jesus. The opposition is actually going to help spread the gospel, not shut it down. The Apostle Paul, again, another great example of this. He was arrested and put in prison because they wanted to stop him for preaching. But what happened is he started sharing about Jesus to the guards and to the other prisoners. And he tells us in the letter to the Philippians that his imprisonment has actually had the opposite of its intended effect. You see, what actually happened was his imprisonment served to advance the gospel. Opposition or persecution does not end or curtail the mission that God has put us on. Rather, Jesus promises that it will actually cause the kingdom to expand and the mission to be successful. Now, this kingdom expansion under opposition doesn't, didn't just happen 
during Jesus' time or in the first, the first century, I have personally sat in a home in India with a woman whose husband, a pastor, had been burned to death because he would not renounce his faith and his love for Jesus. As she served us tea and biscuits, she told of how that persecution has caused many people to come to Christ. There's now a church built on the very spot where her husband died. And it's bursting at its seams. I've met a woman in Cuba. She was an office worker, but she'd lost her job. Her kids were harassed at school. She'd had uh, property that was confiscated. Why? Because she was a follower of Jesus. But meanwhile, the church in Cuba is experiencing exponential growth. You know, it was after my first trip to Cuba, I came home and I sensed the spirit asking me a question. It was a pretty tough question. This was it. Would you be willing to pray for persecution if you knew that it would mean the church in Canada would grow? In other words, would you be willing to ask, say, let's have persecution, bring it on, if it meant that many, many people were going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? Well, that question posed a dilemma for me. (laughs) And I think it does for all of us if we're willing to ponder it. You see, what do we truly value and put ahead of this mission, the call of Jesus? What do we identify as more important than this message? Comfort? Reputation? Careers? Lifestyle? assets, individualism, even our own life? Or as a disciple of Jesus, are we sold out? Are we completely in to the assignment that Jesus has given us? And are we willing to trade all of that other stuff for the mission that God has given us? It's an unsettling question but one that I believe is so important that we answer honestly and give an answer to. Now Jesus goes on to give further promises of help. He says, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking, it will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. We don't need to shy away from tough conversations or about sharing our faith because we think, oh, I don't know enough or I don't have the right words to say. You see, Jesus promises he will give us the right words at the right time. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine called. She'd had a really tough, tough day at work. She'd had an encounter with her boss and some other employees. She didn't know what to do. And you know, I had no idea what to say to her. I didn't have any wise words for her at all. But I felt the Spirit prompting me to pray. So I just prayed with her. It wasn't a pre-planned prayer. I just prayed what the Lord put on my heart. Well, about a week later, she contacted me. and She said, you know, when you said that one sentence, that stuck to me. And the Holy Spirit used that to show me how to respond to my boss and to these coworkers. That changed it for me. Like, thank you for saying that. And I went, "Uh, I don't even remember saying that. 
You see, that's how the Holy Spirit works. He gives us the right words for the situation because he knows what that other person needs to hear. That's how God works. We have the hope that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say, whether it's to encourage a person, whether it's take a stand on something, or to defend the truth. Now, this passage gives one more hope, one more promise of hope and help. Jesus says, you will be saved. If you endure and remain faithful, we have the promise of eternal life in our eternal home with God. Now, there's something we're not promised. We are not promised to be extracted out of every situation. We are not promised to be safe. God does not promise us safety in every situation. What he promises is his presence and eternity with him. And this is paired with the promise that Jesus will return. We have the hope that extends beyond these circumstances and even this world. You know, I found myself thinking about when I was reading this, like, oh man, why do we have to go through this? I mean, really, what we're doing is we're bringing a message of God's love and grace. You know, we talk about God's forgiveness and mercy and that there's healing in Jesus. Why are people opposing us? Well, verses 24 and 25 actually speak directly to these questions. Jesus says, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students will be like their teacher and students are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. You know, these verses could be summed up in Jesus' words from John 15, where he says, If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. We need to remember that this mission is bigger than us. When people communicate that they hate us, what they're really opposing is the message that they bring. They're hating Jesus. The words of Jesus have never been popular because they require us to admit, to acknowledge that we have sinned and that we've missed the mark. Now, none of us like to be told that we're wrong, right? Whether that's about you know, how we use our money, you know, what we should eat or drink, the way we should relate, the way we live, our sexual practices, what we talk about, what we do behind clothes is our own business, right? Well, if we're going to experience life to its fullest, if we're going to be followers of Jesus on mission, we have to humble ourselves call on the name of Jesus, repent, and then we are saved. And that's not a popular message, but it is the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus says we will encounter opposition. We needn't be surprised or dismayed or even fearful. Let's just be aware of it and then claim the statements of of hope that Jesus says in this passage. I will be with you and you and you and I will give you the words to say I will use these tough circumstances for good and I will return and you will be saved. 
So as I wrap this up, I want to bring in a word that isn't used in this passage, but it's used multiple times in other passages throughout Scripture where there's talk of persecution and opposition. And that word is blessing. You know, when we look at these verses in chapter 10 and we think, man, this is tough stuff, right? This is risky. This is dangerous. It could cost us our life. And it seems like it's actually the opposite of being blessed. But look at these words of Jesus from earlier in Matthew. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You see, blessings come on this earth as we experience God's comfort and his love. We experience this joy-filled life of his goodness. And we're blessed with an eternity with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a partially blessed life. I want to be part of this team that's been called into a mission that's full of adventure. I, all of us, were designed to not play it safe. No. Now, this doesn't mean that we're reckless because that would be the opposite or that would go against being shrewd like a snake or innocent like a dove. But I want to go full out. I want to hold nothing back. I want to give it all. I want to say, count me in on this mission. You know, our greatest fear should not be about our physical safety or, or our livelihood. If we have any concern, it should be that we choose to take the easy street. That we might duck out when things get tough. Or that we will fail to speak when the Spirit's thumping on our hearts and we choose to just close our mouth and not say anything because we're afraid of what people might think. For me, at the end of this mission, I want to hear these words. Well done. Mission accomplished. Well done. What about you? Are you all in? Are you ready for the adventure of a lifetime? Jesus says, follow me. Let's go on mission. As I close, I want to put three questions out for us to ponder. And I'd encourage you to ask God to reveal to you your true feelings and to bring your honest answers to Jesus. Here are the questions. What parts of my character need to be changed so that I am shrewd like a snake and innocent like a dove as I live as a disciple on mission? Number two, where have I given in to fear and am allowing it to hold me back from living full out for Jesus? And number three, what does it look like to say yes to this mission? What is Jesus saying to you? And what do you need to do about it?